0: Shalom, my friends. Jim Martin coming to you again from Lake Jackson, Texas, praying that you are very much aware of God's presence and activity in your life and in your surroundings. Uh, We live in a very tumultuous and chaotic world, and we know that that tumult and chaos is not of God. It is of the devil. Uh, It has resulted in so much injustice and so much uh, pain and suffering. And the problem is generations, if not centuries deep, and we are tempted in the flesh to just, as it were, throw up our hands and give up. But that's not God's plan. That's not His desire. And it's certainly not His way for us. So this week, actually, as I was on my morning walk and doing my morning devotionals and quiet time as well, this idea of justice was being taught from a Hebrew and, as I call it, the Eastern world, Perspective, which is quite different than how we view scripture and the activities and program of God from our per- perspective in the West. Uh, and it, it, I guess, I can I don't know if I could say that it shook me to my core, but it caused me to rethink uh, or at least to revisit my thinking on several issues uh, that you might class them in the social justice genre of uh, discussion and communication and conversation uh, in here in the 21st century uh, don't know that that's particularly accurate but we're going to take it and run with it at any rate then I've had at least two additional points of affirmation, confirmation that this is what I need to be teaching on this morning. And that's the passage of scripture that you know, uh, probably, and have heard, perhaps even taught on and preached on, or at least, at the very least, mentioned in sermons and in Bible study lessons. That's in the, the prophecy of Micah, who is called by so many, uh, one of the twelve minor prophets, minor quote-unquote uh, more in the context of their focus and the length of their written documents. Uh, certainly not minor in God's message. Uh, nothing in God's message is minor, right? Would you? I think you'd agree with me on that. So we're, get your copy of Scripture and turn to Micah chapter six and we're going to begin reading in chapter six verse six this morning pray with me as we begin holy God father of Abraham Isaac and Jacob God of the ancients God of the modern, moderns who are intelligent and wise enough and humble enough to acknowledge you as sovereign of the universe. You have created it. You sustain it. You are the reason for its all being. It's not about us. It's all about you. And so, Lord, as we embark upon this study, I pray that you would guide my thoughts and my words to the extent that they would honor you and and glorify you. It would edify, build up and encourage and challenge the listeners to this uh, video and audio, and that you would send your word forth throughout the earth. Now, Lord, all these things we ask with great gratitude in our hearts to the Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Very well now, Micah chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 6 to try to get the entire context here. With what shall I come to the Lord and how shall I bow myself before the God on high shall I come to him with burnt offerings with yearling lambs tithes with come to church once a Sunday and once a week is that how I'm going to honor the Lord verse 7 does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams 10,000s rivers of oil Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? Now this sounds pretty dramatic, doesn't it? But it's people who were convicted were brought to their knees in contrition. Sadly, few of us are. And then verse 8, the one that we know so well. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? My, my. We're very familiar with that verse 8, Micah 6, 8, are we not? Let's just do an extremely brief uh, background check on Micah. Uh, The prophet Micah we know very little about. He, his message was directed to Israel, the Northern Ten Tribes. It was in the pre-Assyrian captivity period of time, which is uh, about the mid to late 8th century before Christ walked the earth. Micah was not a person of great fame and uh, high repute. He was just a common person to whom the word of the Lord came. He was greatly convicted in his spirit about the, well, the idolatry, but also the injustice that he observed in the powerful ones of Israel and how they led the people of Israel, God's own chosen people, how how the leaders led them astray. My friends, though Micah lived 750 odd years before Christ, People today, in 2020 years, 21 years after Christ's birth, 1950 years, or 80 years after He walked the earth, we're no different. We are exactly the same. So, as we embark on this study, and I do pray that you've uh, acquired a copy of the study notes to which I gave you a link. Uh, in the Facebook Live comments and also in the podcast show notes. Please avail yourself of those notes. It will make a lot more sense and help you to follow along in our presentations over the next three weeks as we take and uh, unpack verse 8 into the three characteristics of a life surrendered to God. How does that life, that surrendered life, live itself out, play itself out in the community in which Christ followers now live, in which those that fear God truly with a reverential awe and fear uh, and trembling, how do they live out their lives in the communities? So, let's read verse 8 once again, shall we? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord re- require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Okay, we're going to take this and unpack it and study this in three separate sections. Today, we're going to look at the concept of justice. And this is what really got my attention uh, this week as I was soaking in the Word of God, as it were. As it turns out, I told my wife, Brenda, that I don't think I've ever taught or preached on Micah 6-8 in my preaching career, which is not that long. I guess it's uh, 25, 30 years of teaching, uh, well, closer to 50 years teaching the Word of God, various audiences and congregations, and preaching in for the last 25 to 30 years. And then I got to looking through all my notes in my, my library of uh, messages and, and documents and Bible studies, and I found that I had indeed brought this to a congregation, I believe it was in the country of England, and uh, as we were pastoring our first church there in 2004, in the summer of 2004. My notes were dated July 2004, and I was uh, rather astounded that I had actually brought that to that that particular church. Uh, normally when I get into a new church, I will take them through the first few chapters of Acts to see what did God intend for a church to be. But in, in that church, uh, in Thornaby, England, that I may actually have some listeners for, uh, from that time period, I'd actually brought this message on Micah 6, 6-8, uh, primarily, verse 8. As I got to reviewing this, I said, well, okay, I've uh, grown a little bit in the in the last however many years, 21 years. Uh, I do believe I've grown a little bit. Let's see what God has shown us here. So the first requirement of God, what does He want, how does He want us to live, is that we do justice. What does it mean to, quote, do justice? Well, in the West, where most of us that are listening to this message live in the united states western europe uh, perhaps even eastern europe and africa we have a particular connotation for the word justice uh, when we hear that word it means something to us that it didn't necessarily mean to the eastern people to the hebrew people to which this message was directed, and I've given you those two definitions and those two words primarily from the Hebrew in the, the study notes. Two different words. The word that the Hebrew word that's used here in Micah 6.8 is the most common word for ju- translated into the English word justice, uh, it is the word mishpat. Mishpat, And this idea is what is so foreign to our Western concept of justice. Because mishpat refer, refers to a restorative form of justice, restorative form, not punitive. That's the second word that we'll get into in a moment. It's focused on the plaintiff, if you will. If you're imagining this as a court case. And it seeks to put whatever the situation is back to the state God intended and designed. The goal is Shalom. And I will direct you to the notes. And I've given you an end note on uh, Vine's Old Testament definition, dictionary definition of Shalom. Shalom. Uh, We in the West commonly think of shalom kind of like aloha in Hawaiian, right? It's just a a generic greeting, uh, roughly translated peace. It does mean peace, but it means much more than peace. It doesn't mean absence of conflict or, uh, oh man, hope life is being good to you. No, no, It, it means a sense of wholeness and completeness. This is what God intends for us. That we be complete, lacking nothing. You understand that? That we be complete and lacking nothing. The only way we can be complete, the only way we can lack nothing, is to be found in Him, in Christ, by faith. That's the way that works, my friends. That's the only way that can work. So, Mishpat, Restorative justice—you see injustice being done—and you ta- and you don't take retribution, you don't take vengeance, you don't seek vengeance against the offender. You seek to put the situation right. How does God want this person to live? How does this God want this situation to exist so that he, His His people? may operate in total spiritual freedom. That is mispot, And that's what we are to seek to do. This is what pleases God. To see His people, quote, doing justice. Seeking Shalom. Okay, the other word. Let's go ahead and cover that word because it's the word that really reflects the Western view of justice. And that's the word Shapat. Shafat. Shafat. And that is a punitive action. It's a verb. By the way, mishpat is also a verb. It is the doing of setting things right. It is the doing of bring, bringing shalom. Those activities. That effort to bring shalom. Shafat is the action of bringing about proper shalom consequences to the offender that has injured someone. But that's not the most common Hebrew word used in the Old Testament for justice. It is used because, make no mistake, when we do wrong to another person, then there are consequences to that wrong. When we do wrong to God, when we offend God, when we break His holy commands, disobey His commands. There are consequences to that disobedience. Now, the Old Testament judges don't don't sit on a bench with a gavel in their hands and black robes and with a prosecutor and a a defender. No, no, no. Seeking truth in the situation. And when they see that a person has indeed broken a law, has caused injury to another person, then the first thing they do is try to set things right with the offended party, with the plaintiff, as we would call them. And then the second thing that often must be done is consequences must be addressed for the offender, right? And and the judge in that case would see that those consequences were carried out. He didn't just give that job to the to the uh, whatever the person is called in the court. Uh, um, it slips my mind now. The, the, the officer of the court that that was to see to it that the consequences were carried out. No, no, he did it himself. Now, the Western justice system, quote-unquote, is primarily focused on the second of these two concepts, the punitive kind. Although, that we, I will admit, there are two distinct systems and divisions in our justice system. There's the civil courts, and then there are the the criminal courts, but the civil courts simply look to see if uh, someone has broken a contract or has violated some civil right of another person, and then they try to set that right and maybe impose fines on the the offending parties. But there's no no sense of uh, restoring peace, restoring wholeness to the offend, offended party. They said, okay, uh, I heard I heard your case. Uh, you're right. this other party owes you money or whatever owes you restitution and uh, um, be warm and filled. Go, go and do good. Now there's no, se- there's no sense of, of restoring Shalom, wholeness to the community there. Of course, the second, uh, the punitive part is is, to, is the criminal justice system, and that does impose criminal uh, penalties for uh, perpetrators of crimes. Uh, but again, there's no there's no restoration to what God planned for them to be. It's just simply according to the Constitution and the system of laws that we have. Okay. Uh, It's primarily keeping the law and honoring contracts. That's that's our whole justice system uh, focus, in in my mind. I'm not a lawyer. uh, I'm not a, uh, a judge. None of that. But it seems to me, in my 76 years here watching all this stuff go on, that that's what the focus is. It's uh, keeping the law, honoring contracts, which is a subset of keeping the law. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what God's wanting us to do when He says do justice. He wants us to restore shalom in our communities and in our families, in our own personal lives. Justice requires that every human being, every individual, that calls upon the name of the Lord and seeks to find peace and well-being in this world under Him, that every individual be treated with the same impartiality and dignity that the law of God and the person of God and the character of God requires of us. We treat each other with dignity. Now, do you see a lot of that going on? Uh... I'm sorry, I, I don't see it going on, but this is a this is a recurrent theme in in the Old Testament. And it starts off in in Genesis. Look at how he had this counsel with himself, I guess uh, regarding Abraham. In Genesis chapter 18, this is recorded to us. And God's speaking, He said, I have chosen him, speaking of Abram. Uh, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him, that he may keep his covenant with Abraham. Abraham. Oh, my friends, this is the fundamental thing. That he chose Abraham because he saw somehow, deep within him. Abram, a desire, and a motivation, to to be righteous before God, to enact justice, to take care of the oppressed. We see this in Leviticus: "You shall do no injustice in judgment." Speaking mostly to the laws, to this priest. And to the judges, you shall not be partial to the poor. Don't, don't be partial to the poor. Now, do we need to talk about that? Do we see that in an, in today's uh, social justice system? Or do we see the poor uh, favored and enabled in their poverty? I'm starting to preach now. I'm starting to meddle now, huh? nor should you defer to the great don't take bribes don't just because they have a high status in in the community hey, hey hey don't don't play favorites here but you shall you are to judge your neighbor fairly then in psalm 140 he says i know that the lord will maintain the case of the afflicted and justice for the poor My friends, Jesus said the poor we will have with us always. And I think we can testify for that. We do have poverty. We have a great deal more poverty in our world today than is necessary. But as I said, the problems, the root causes of this poverty run so deep and so long and so far back in history that the only way it can be saw or be reconciled and, and, and uh, reckoned with is to just dramatically restore us to God rule. And is that going to happen? Uh, yes, it actually is going to happen. Uh, but it's going to be devastating for the world system as we know it because it's gone too far. It cannot go back. But, what are we to do? Throw up our hands and give up? No, we're not allowed to do that, my friends. As far as it is within you, be at peace with all men, God says. Okay? And that means you take care of your business. When you see injustice being done, when you see the the afflicted being oppressed, When you see the mighty and the powerful and the rich taking advantage, then God says we have to step in. We have to take legal measures and righteous measures to bring shalom, to bring wholeness. Sometimes the poor are poor because they're afflicted physically or mentally that's a, an extremely small portion of our population that must be looked after taken care of most of the poor of our country and our world are poor because i'm sorry this may say, seem this may seem cruel and judgmental to you but I'm not I don't think I'm being judgmental, but they're poor because they want to be, because they've been able to be because they don't know another way to live. So they've become dependent on a on a system of governments and and social media that enables their poverty and indeed may I say keeps them in poverty. This is injustice. Any system, my friends, that keeps the poor poor in spite of their efforts to pull themselves out and work themselves out into a place of self-sustenance, that system is unjust. And my friends, I sit here, perhaps as a prophet of God, Saying that this is unjust is unjust, that any system that keeps the poor poor by enabling them is unjust. It does not bring about Shalom. It brings chaos, pain, depression, discouragement all the things that a person needs to climb up out of a situation that God never intended for him to be in in the first place. A common complaint regarding God and His people, regarding God's people in that day and maybe in our own that the rich and influential were privileged. The rich and influential were privileged at law above the poor and defenseless. You heard the expression, well, they can afford a good lawyer. I couldn't. Well, there you go. See, it hadn't changed, has it? So many times in our system, even though we have public defenders and such. And we do have uh, small segments of the legal profession that will do pro bono work. Uh, in general, if a rich person can afford a a, a lawyer that is more skilled at court than the poor person come, uh, can, then the rich person inevitably will win. Unless their offense is just so grievous and so obvious that the judge cannot ignore it, and no amount of money can buy them out of it, in that in that case justice may be done, but only in a superficial sense. Okay, let's finish this up for today. Therefore, to do justice means to live and to think, being governed. To live and to think, governed by the Great Commandments. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor the way Jesus loved people around Him, sacrificially. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40 for the the two great commandments. And then finally, justice has the element of heartfelt obedience to the moral law of God at its very core. So the question to close today's session is this. It's not that we should ask the question what can I do? What am I doing that pleases God? That's the wrong question. My friends, there's nothing that we can bring to God that will please Him. Okay? Uh, there's nothing in myself that is pleasing to God. The only thing I can bring to Him is a humble and contrite spirit. And I can only come before God because of the blood of His Son, Jesus. Now, the question I need to be asking, first of all, what can I do, what can I personally do to restore and uphold shalom? That's the first question that I ask. Pray with me. Father God, we come to you in Jesus' name once again. And, Lord, we are humbled and we are convicted in our hearts that our whole system of, quote, justice, end quote, is skewed to our personal desires and power. Lord, we have forgotten your concept of justice. Forgive us, my Lord. Open up our eyes and our hearts and our brains, our very thinking process to understand shalom and how we might be instruments of your shalom, your peace, your wholeness, your completeness, your righteousness in our communities, and in our families, and in our own personal lives, in our walk with you. These things I ask and I uh, uh, with, with confession. And with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, shalom, my friends. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the the peace of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Join me next week and we'll look at what it means to love kindness or to love mercy. Amen. God bless you.